What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Joe Bonamassa here with another exciting episode of Live from Nerdville. I am broadcasting from Nashville, Tennessee, and my very special guest, the one, the only, the great Nita Strauss. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you for having me. Who was the host? Who was the who was the who was the person that got you into music and in particular guitar? How did how did you start? Because everybody has a, a host parent, whoever, go, hey, check this out and check out this music. Yeah, that was my dad. So mm -hmm. my dad, uh, my dad was a touring musician for most of his life. And uh, he was a bass player, but he played some guitar. And he started out, I think he started out and gave me a bass and I wasn't into the bass. And then he got me a Squire. Mm -hmm. And I, I plinked around with it. And I didn't really fall in love with it. I was like, you know, just kind of like an angry 12 year old. And he's like, here's a cool outlet. Here's a right. cheap guitar. And all I really did was take that white scratch plate off and put a black one on that $99 Squire. And, right. and, then, uh, and then I saw Crossroads. And once I saw Crossroads and I saw Vi in Crossroads, like that was my moment. That was like, right. oh, I was like almost like taking a deep breath. Like, that's what I'm supposed to. I was almost 13. I was like, that's what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. Like now I get it. And right. it just clicked. And I started trying to do whammy bar tricks on my squire. And, right. like, uh, and that's like literally to this day, I'm still kind of aspiring to be Steve Vai in Crossroads. Have you ever broken the bar off in, in a guitar? Um, well, mine, they have the collar. Um, so they don't typically like break, break, but I have pulled it out at mm -hmm. the times before, which sucks. Yeah. I got clickbaited because I said in an interview I, I take all the whammy bars off my strats. Not because I don't I, I don't use them. I use them when I play the guitars. But when I when my friends um, when my friends play my guitars, they they want to become Eddie Van Halen or Steve yeah. Vai. And once in a while they'll break them off and then they'll go, oh sorry about that. Put the guitar back in the case and leave the house. Oh. No. Then, then it's my problem. Rude. And if you've ever drilled out one of those bass metal trem bars, it's not fun. You know, wow. what was it about Steve Vai's playing that 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 resonated with you? Because there's a lot of people in that space, and, and I I I I know Steve Vai from from the Crossroads movie in in '86 because I'm boomer, you know. Not <laughs> really, I'm, I'm a boomer, you no, know. You're a but, but that was a, a millennial. Let's let's keep it straight. All of right. us of all generations can all want to be Jack Butler. Exactly, and, and he was Jack Butler. And what was it about his playing that 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 so resonated with you um, at an early age? So for me, starting with Vi and then moving to you know the Jason Beckers and Paul Gilberts and Marty Freemans of our scene and Satriani, I love these players that make it just seem like so much fun what they're mm -hmm. doing. You know, there are some musicians that when you watch them play, it just looks painfully hard to watch. Like, it's so difficult. It's like, oh, I could never do that. Like, this looks, right. and those guys are like that too. But when I watch Steve Vai and Crossroads, I go, man, I want to do that. Like, that mm -hmm. looks like fun. What that guy is doing, like, you know, like the style and the attitude and this impeccable technique, like, that's what I wanted to be. I, I felt that way when I saw Jennifer Batten for the first time. Right. You know, saying like, oh my God, there's a girl out there doing it. She's blonde and she's beautiful and she's with the biggest pop star in the whole world and she's shredding like crazy and running around and circle head banging out. Like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen because it looks fun. Yeah, and, and it is fun when you play loud, fun. you know, and, and, you know, when you get good at guitar and, and you can, 
you can emulate those sounds that you heard on record. You're like, oh, okay, now I'm really having fun with it. Exactly. When, did you, when did you know you were good? Because everybody, now you, you're a very humble person. I met you several times. You're a very humble person, but there's a point in time in everybody's career go, that they go, okay, I'm better than, than just the hobbyist level here, and I can do this for a career. What, at what age did you go, I'm going to try to make a go at this? So I knew I was going to do it professionally pretty much immediately. Like I was, I didn't think I was any good, but I knew that it was what I wanted to do. I think I played my first show definitely within a month of picking up the guitar. Wow. And I was not any good. Uh, it was a battle of the bands. Uh, I had gotten recruited. I wasn't even playing guitar in that band. I was playing bass. And I was only playing in it because someone, like I've always had this attitude from that very first band to now. If someone says, hey, can you do this? I go, yep, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I don't care if I can do it or not, or if I know what it is or not. Someone asks me if I can do it. I go, yeah, definitely, absolutely. And then I go and I cram for it and mm -hmm. then I get it done. So someone asked this, you know, I must've been just turned 13 probably at the time. Do you know anybody that can play bass? I was like, I can play bass. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so right. I took my dad's old bass and I, you know, put what I had learned from guitar onto the, the bottom four strings of the guitar onto the bass. And we played a battle of the bands in Canoga Park. Mm -hmm. And we had to sell, I think it was like 10 tickets at $10 each. We had to pay like $100 to right. play. We didn't have anybody to come because it was our first show. So my dad had to buy six of the 10 tickets. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, we went on at midnight. We played three songs and we were so bad that everybody, like the 15 or 20 people that were there all left, including one of the judges. Okay. Wow. Okay. So it can really only go up from there. If I still loved it after that, then I, I feel like I was in good shape. What do you learn from the bad gigs versus the good gigs? Because I always say like the good gigs, band comes off stage, the arms get long. Yes. This, and oh my God, you know, you know, Heineken's and, and Jägermeister for everyone. What do you, <laughs> what, what do you learn? What do you learn from the bad gigs? I feel like the bad gigs, um, we call them in the Alice band, we call them the character building gigs. Mm -hmm. um, and I think those gigs are sort of like where you get to test your strength. Like that's how, you know, you, you, you sharpen the iron of your guitar soul. You know, if you can get out there and, you know, we have all had this gig where you go out and you step on your cable and it wasn't looped around the thing. So it gets unplugged and you can't get the thing back in and it's buzzing. And then so it's like, there's these Murphy's Law shows that we have all had. And those are the shows where you really learn to keep your composure. Mm -hmm. You know, you need to be able to keep your composure during the, those shows because those things are going to happen at the big shows too. I sprinted across the stage at Whack and Open Air and I slipped and I fell on my ass in front of 100,000 people. And because of all those character building gigs, I was right. able to just like laugh it off. I looked at the people in the front row. I was like, there it was. And, uh, and kept going. And it was fine. And we got off stage and it was a great gig. And because you sort of have those, you have to get your reps in, you know, with, right. with the character builders. One of the things I, I, every once in a while, we'll have an incident on stage where something blows up. I'm terrible. String breaks. <laughs> I feel like I'm that probably, that second thing probably never happens, but okay. I'm terrible and the string breaks. And it's just, it's all coming to, it's coming to fruition in one big ball of I'd like to refund the money to all the fans <laughs> and and then I'll watch the video and when it's happening to you on stage where you fall whether something goes wrong it seems like it's like 10 or 12 minutes 
but it's really a very short period of time. And think about it, it's nobody notices, really. Yeah. They just think no, it's part no of the game. And if they notice, they legitimately don't care. Right. Like, you know, it's it's not, you know, not all of us are going to be as smooth as like Stevie Ray Vaughan with the guitar change or anything. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's it's not as big of a deal as any of us think it is. You know, guitar players, we live so much in our own head. You know, we don't realize that everybody's not watching us 100 percent of the time. <laughs> like, especially in my gig, like, you know, there's a, a much bigger name on stage that people are right. most of the time looking at. So if I do something stupid, you know, I, I don't really stress about it too much these days. It's just like, eh, I fell down. Right. A lot of bubbles on the stage, slippery. They put a carpet down because I slipped so many times. We have a saying, um, I do this little band um, at the Baked Potato every, well, it was every year until COVID. Um, and it's just like a funky jazz fusion band. And we pay our bills and expenses and and and. We we break the sound barrier, or the, no, we break the fusion barrier. Okay, okay, it's barely. Now the fusion barrier is classified as anybody who makes more than eighty dollars a man. You've broken the fusion barrier. Okay? <laughs> what was the first time you broke the fusion barrier playing a gig in L.A.? Because that's tough to do. Because you were explaining what not a lot of people not understand about L.A. You got you get a gig at the whiskey. They hand you a bunch of tickets, going, "You owe me five hundred dollars," and that's that's yeah. a, a way of doing business. Forever. What was the first time you broke the fusion barrier? Made more than eighty bucks for a gig. First of all, can I give you a hot take about the the pay to play situation? Mm-hmm. I don't mind it. You don't and mind? I don't mind it, and I'll explain why. Because I know that this is a very unpopular opinion, but I feel like when there's pressure on you as a band to bring people, if you're like, man, you know, especially some of these good shows, like, you know, you're in it for like five hundred, six hundred bucks, you know, Absolutely. and when I was playing a lot of those shows, I would do those end productions whiskey shows like every six weeks for mm-hmm. like five years. <laughs> right. And, uh, and it makes every band bring people, right. you know? So regardless of whether, you know, we, we were at rehearsal rooms and bands would just stick the ticket, they would eat the costs and stick the tickets in the, the mirror to get people to come mm-hmm. or, you know, people going around to school. We were all in high school at the time. So people going on to school, selling tickets, getting people to come, it creates a scene. It sucks doing it, but right. All the shows are packed. You get seven or eight bands on a bill, like those shows at the Whiskey, mm-hmm. and each one of them brings 30, 40 people. All of a sudden, you've got a pretty decent-sized room. So Correct. I don't mind it. Fusion barrier. I feel like I jumped actually fairly quickly from doing my own stuff into the hired gun world right. of, mm-hmm. of touring. Um so I would, you know, I would tour with my own bands and we hardly made anything, you know, like whatever we made was put right back into the van and the gas and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, I did my first European tour as a hired gun, mm-hmm. which ended up not at all breaking the fusion barrier because I came home and the band decided that they didn't make enough money on the tour to pay me anything. Oh, so nice, nice to let said, you know at the end. At the end, when we were already home, we did 30 shows in 30 days. And then when we got back home to L.A., they said, yeah, we didn't really make that much. So uh, you got your $10 a day per diem. And uh, hopefully that was good. 300 bucks for 30 shows seems fair. Yes. So I don't know if that counts as the fusion barrier. And then I went from there to Jermaine Jackson's band, right. which was the polar opposite. And I feel like that was the first time I really broke the $80 a gig right. thing with right. Jermaine. Well, you know, um, you were in that movie, um, yeah. Hired Gun. And yeah. um, what a lot of people don't realize is, is 
especially people who play with big bands, you know, uh, you know, consistently, they a lot of people assume the minute you get that gig with Jermaine Jackson or Alice Cooper or whoever, you are you are cut a check for one million dollars. Oh yeah, and you're, you're set for the rest of your life. And you're an instant millionaire, and it's like it's it's, but it's really not. It's a it's a it's a lot of work, and it's and because you're you're playing and you're making good money on that gig, but they don't tour 365 days, so it's your responsibility to to make up the shortfall. And I think you do a great job with it, with with your 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 guitar lessons and your signature model guitars and 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 your and your your uh, Nita Strauss. I love this body shred. That's a great yes. name. I, I go. I, I, that's genius. Um, question about managing your brand. How how far in advance are you, uh, you know, uh, planning things? You know, based on obviously your anchor date is Alice Cooper, and that's 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 who you tour with. But how far in advance are you planning outward from that or within the tour? Um, not as far as I should, for mm -hmm. sure. I do have a tendency to be a little bit last minute with things. Mm -hmm. um, as far as my solo touring, you know, Alice is always going to be my top priority. But, uh, you know, kind of luckily and unluckily for me, he does so well with his his other project called Vampires that it leaves the band a good bit of time to do things. So, you know, I, I released my album, Control Chaos. Uh, I did two tours with that album. Uh, I did a co-headline with Angel Vivaldi, and then I did a headline tour. I guess it wasn't last year. I guess it's the year before last. Right, right. 2019. Uh, mm -hmm. tw it wasn't last year, 2019. It's like, all one big year. 2020 <laughs> is going to last like 750 days. Yeah, yeah it's, it's bananas. Um, but then, you know, like you said, I, I've got the the guitar lessons, the online guitar lessons. I want to play guitar.com, which I still think mm. is the best URL in the whole world. Genius. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have the Fitness Challenge Body Shred, which we just um, did the most recent one of those, which launched yesterday on the 1st. I have a question because I, I and, and, and this is all serious. And if you notice I'm lowering my glasses because I'm a boomer. Yes, I know. Okay. Okay. Um, on the Nita Strauss body shred, I, I went through the entire platform and I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm reformed. I've lost weight a lot in my life and I, and it, I struggle to keep my weight. The one thing, and it may just be, it may just be an oversight in the platform. Where in the Nita Strauss body shred routine does it address the consumption of booze and the smoking of cigars? It's... It doesn't. And oh, the so is that, is that, that bad? Because I'm I'm just learning about this stuff. Well, you know, I don't I don't do the booze and the cigars, but it's my firm belief that everybody's journey looks different. Mm -hmm. So I think whatever you need to do to make your fitness journey work for you, that's what it is. If if it looks like sobriety, like for me, it was definitely sobriety, mm -hmm. which is you know that was the thing that worked for me. But I'm never going to go in my platform. You know, we've got 600 people in there doing a challenge right now. I'm not going to go in there and tell them like, Hey, if you want to be a part of my thing, you have to change, you know, your lifestyle. If they want to do it, I'm here as a resource. If they want to do it in their own way, I'm still here as a resource. And that's it. What inspired you to, 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 to get into health and fitness and, and you know, cause I, I, I know your boyfriend, Josh, and, and when we hung out there at Alice's Christmas jam, you guys were like, you guys were in the gym. You guys, you, and I was like, these two <laughs> are, this is like as serious as it gets. And, and you know, because a lot of people like they, they, I know some people right now are on keto diets. So, so I, I, I watch them in a restaurant. They order like a forty-eight ounce steak, and, and I'm like, and, and I'm like, and I'm like, and then they're putting butter in the coffee, and I go, that's no. not sustainable as no. a, as a, 
you know, but what you do is it's it's a it's a lifestyle change that 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 promotes health and fitness because I I can eat healthy. What I can't do is the fitness part. I've just I've just I can't get I can't get down with it. But so you know, you really you really are good at inspiring people. I mean, it's Thank it's. You. What's what's what was the inspiration about getting involved in that and and helping others? Because a lot of people don't know what to do. Don't even know where to get started. Yeah, I was like that. Um, so if you rewind back to 2014, uh, when I first started playing with Alice, I, and I promise I'm not going to get preachy about the booze here, but like I was an alcoholic and I mm. wasn't like, it wasn't good for me. And I don't think most people really knew how I was in my personal life. Like, cause I've always kind of sort of had this like effervescent personality and I don't let a lot of people into like what I'm actually going through. But uh, I was gaining a lot of weight. If you look at, it's funny, if you watch Hired Gun, they actually interviewed me twice, a year and a half apart, once before I got sober and once after. So mm -hmm. if you watch it again, knowing that I look completely different. Right. Um, so uh, in September of 2015, uh, I finally got sober and I just sort of made this deal with myself, like, I'm going to make it worth it. I don't mm -hmm. want this to just be like something I do. I don't get anything out of it. So I'm going to like, I'm going to get in the best shape of my life. I'm going to get healthier. Like I was running around on stage and I was getting winded and all this kind of stuff. So, um, I just sort of made that commitment to myself. I traded, you know, the staying up all night and partying and drinking for like getting up early in the morning, trade the bar for the barbell. Right. And, uh, and I started feeling so good and I had all this energy and I was happy and I, you know, stopped fighting in my relationship and like, you know, I was feeling great. And I started having people ask what I was doing. You know, like, how'd you do it? I lost almost 50 pounds while I was in the wow. middle of the Motley Crue tour, like in hotel gyms and, you yeah. know, with very limited equipment and everything and no real guidance. Mm -hmm. So I was like, you know, I was typing these long comments back. I was like, well, you eat this and you do that and don't do the keto and da, 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 da. And finally, I was like, we should do something more official because our community, like our rock community could stand to get a little bit healthier. Like whether it's running around on stage or playing with your kids or getting your blood pressure down or high cholesterol or anything like that. Like our community could all stand to be a little bit more healthy, but the fitness community is intimidating. Like you see these fitness Instagrams and they're all in matching outfits and put together and the girls are wearing all this makeup in the gym and everything looks easy and it's not real. I needed something that our community could get down with. So uh, we give away uh, my signature guitar and I've been as Jiva. We give away a Marshall amp, uh, fight camp punching bags came on board for this one. So they're giving away um, a punching bag and gloves and trackers and stuff. Right. Um, they get uh, food from trifecta nutrition, which is the food that I eat. Uh, it's like a food uh, meal prep delivery service. Mm. Uh, we have dietitians on staff, uh, RP strength, and they train like USA Olympians and powerlifters. And, um, and the food is good. I mean, it's like, a lot of good, healthy food. I'm not, no one's saying you can't have carbs. No one's saying you can't have fats. No one's even saying you can't have a glass of wine. It's just moderation and, and keeping yourself full and satiated and work your butt off in the gym. And it, and it works. You know, we have people changing their lives, losing weight, getting off of medications, getting off even the anxiety and depression medications. Cause when you start working out, you start feeling better. So it's been a really, really, really good thing. And I know some people that had, had, you know, they were starting to get diabetes or they were, they had diabetes and, and they changed their lifestyle. And then all of a sudden they don't have diabetes. And it was just, it was just because they cut it all back, you know? Totally. And, and, you know, one of the things that, you know, I, I'm fascinated with it because I struggle on a day-to-day -day basis. And, and, and what, what I've, what I've learned is I, I bought these books 
mm-hmm. back in the day, they were called Eat This and Not That. And I learned yes, how to I've seen that book. Mm-hmm. And it was good. They did one for the supermarket and they did one for restaurant chains. Now, in the olden days, when I had long hair and I was fat and jolly. <laughs> okay, Isn't that more fun, though? Oh, I look at pictures of me. I'm always smiling. I'm like, yep. I was fat and jolly. I was the I was like the jolly fat man. Okay, right. And I would go to I would go to the Outback Steakhouse. Okay. On a day off. And you would start with the blooming onion. Then you would get the thing and blah, blah, blah. And it was fantastic. Okay. Right. I'm not saying it's it's bad. It's fantastic. It's better than good. It's top. You then you then you realize, well, I just ate half of that. And that's 2,500 calories before I, I it, and before I you eat your meal. Right. And what I didn't realize was the amount of extra calories I was consuming by, oh, you like peanut M&Ms? Grab, grab a handful or two of those. And then you don't realize, and then it's all it culminates at the end of the week. And you're like, I'm up three pounds. I don't even know. I didn't eat anything. I didn't hardly do anything. And you know what was the game changer for me was tracking my food. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I got that advice kind of really early in my fitness, my own fitness journey. And said, so just track everything you eat. Don't change your eating habits. Just track everything you eat. So if you eat a handful of M&Ms, you go, okay, this is nine M&Ms. And then you put in the app, nine M&Ms. And then you're like, 240 calories. Like, you know, you're supposed to eat 1,200 or 1,800 or whatever in right. the day. Like, this handful just cost me a quarter of my food. <laughs> like, right. You know, and that's when you start realizing the the oil that you cook the food in the butter on the toast the uh, like everything like that you don't realize how much how much it makes a difference uh, the milk in the latte the nonfat milk has carbs in it mm-hmm. and I didn't know like this is how new I was at working out I didn't know that so I started going I'm gonna cut carbs and then I went and I got a you know skinny vanilla latte at Starbucks mm-hmm. a millennial. And, uh, and I said, I told Josh, I was like, like latte has 30 grams of carbs in it. Like I thought right. a carb was like rice or bread. Yeah. Like a roll, uh, like a flat, roll, uh, a thing. Like yeah, carb. exactly. How can you I'm drink watching. a carb? <laughs> but you can. I watched Eric Clapton's guitar tech when he, when he came and played with me at the Albert hall and he sat his, his guitar tech, Ben Lee, he sat, he sat with me and my guy and and he he went to catering and his dinner i swear to god it was a mountain of mashed potatoes with the side of a roll that was <laughs> nothing like, but carb i'm like i'm like is he carb depleted my friend anyway um to be real that is kind of my dream dinner exactly it's it's everybody's really? dream dinner we just can't you know do what it. my dinner was chick shredded chicken and quinoa and red pepper and lemon and it was it was actually really good, but <laughs> and chickpeas. I do this like I mish mosh them all together. I, I have a recipe book that comes with the body shred challenge, mm-hmm. and I've been cooking through it since we started the challenge recently. And so yeah, that's that's this is my fun night now. I just cook up a bunch of quinoa and shred the chicken with the forks. And well, well, I mean, not to just make this whole program about dietary things, but I, I just on, on a personal level, I, I think what you're doing is great and a very okay. valuable service, especially in our industry where gluttony is celebrated what got you into heavy music because you i listened to your solo record uh control chaos and um and and it's it's i was trying to jam along and i was like i i, I just don't i don't have i'm, I'm my, my bones are too brittle i'm, I'm old i'm a boomer uh, I, it's I, possible to believe can i tell you how much i would love to hear you jamming along to any song on that album it would just really really make my day 
I'll, I'll send you a video of me trying to play like Robert Johnson's slide to, to Mariana's Trench. We, we'll start <laughs> there, right? I fully support that idea. But what gravitated you to, I mean, like, it's a very heavy record and, and it's, it's very fast. The tempos are, are, are up there, but your timing, it still swings, which is important. I mean, what, what, what got you into like really heavy, big guitar and that kind of music? So I think, and now that I'm older and wiser, I feel a little bit less of a chip on my shoulder about these things. Mm -hmm. But when I was younger, I had that gigantic female guitar player chip on my shoulder mm -hmm. of, you know, everybody's judging me and everybody's looking down on me. Nobody thinks I can do it. And like, I just made it my mission to play the loudest, the fastest, the most flamboyantly flashy over the top as I could. And uh, that style just kind of stuck with me because it's fun. Like, I like being over the top. I like being kind of crazy. Like some of the Alice fans don't dig it as much and some do, but like, I like to just push myself and innovate in any way that I can. So it, and it's fun for me and it makes the softer songs on the album stand out. I think even more to have, right. to have, you know, it's like aggressive, aggressive, aggressive punch in the face. And then you have a song, you know, like my song hope grows, which is like pretty much all acoustic and right. just sort of like chill. I don't, even drums yeah there's a little drums with like light kind mm -hmm. of brushy drums and uh, i think it's important to be able to do both get you someone that can do both that's the great thing about the guitar you can use it to make people cry but most importantly you can use it as a weapon yes and, or make yourself cry yeah, or make yourself cry <laughs> attempting to talk to me about the 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 the, the the, the song mariana's trench um uh not to put you on the spot do you know how deep the trench is i don't know but i do know that it's the deepest place that we know of on the earth mm -hmm. and i know this is something that you'll relate to especially is when you're writing music especially if it's instrumental music it really has to be about something mm -hmm. because i think a lot of people think that instrumental music is just a bunch of notes in a row and that's why they don't want to listen to it because it's not about anything but it really like if you're doing it right i think you know, it's really about something. So when I wrote Mariana Trench, I was feeling this immense pressure. Um, you know, we had just done the Kickstarter, you know, we, we had a very successful Kickstarter, we raised a lot of money, you know, then a label wanted to pick it up and distribute it. I was trying to cram everything in. I was recording the album, you know, on hotel room desks with headphones while I was on tour with Alice. Right. And I was just sort of like getting it from all angles. Like, why isn't it done yet? Why doesn't it sound like this? You know, you react this and it doesn't sound like that. And like, you know, deliverables of the, you know, the album artwork. And, the, you know, it was just like, I was just feeling super, super under a ton of pressure. Right. So that's why I called it that to just sort of, and I used these chords to try to like evoke that feeling of, of being under pressure. Well, you did. And mm -hmm. um, it, it, I, 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 I always gravitate to titles when I look at the record, mm -hmm. the sequence. And I was like, that's a very interesting title. And I checked it out for the record. The Mariana's Trench is 36,201 feet known by man. That's what I was going to say. I just didn't know if you knew it. I was, I, 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 <laughs> I, I asked know. Mr. Google. I didn't know. I knew it was over I should have known because that's my song. How important is running your own business in 2020, 2021? Like, like, like not being, you know, because you're very independent. You, like you said, you did a Kickstarter. You licensed your record. You didn't, you could have got any, you could have walked into any place in Beverly Hills or New York, or whatever, Nashville, got a deal, got an advance, put it out didn't own your masters. You did it, you did it the old fashioned way. You own the masters, you, 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 you licensed the record. Like how important is that, you know, 
you know, being someone who's in the music business and, 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 you know, surviving because a lot of people don't realize that betting on yourself is a, is a big deal. It is. And I think that that's a huge misconception from people wanting to get into this business is, and this is like a really terrible thing to say, but I'm going to just say it. And I know that you understand what I'm going to say in 2020, 2021, 2019, 18, even 17 so much it is just not enough to be a great guitar player. Mm-hmm. It's just not. And I hate to say it because it should be, honestly, like it should be enough to just be incredible at what you do and make money at it. But the sad fact is it is just, it's not. You need to have a different angle and a way to approach it, and a way to approach your business, whether it's signature products, whether it's, you know, tours of your own, whether it's cruises, like what you do, you know, like there's got to be something that sets you apart as that differentiator that can be lucrative, right. you know? And it's, and it's a shame because really like all any of us really want to do is just sit in here in solitude and play guitar. Right. right. <laughs> but, but unfortunately, you know, and I'm definitely the queen of all the different angles of, you know, from the products to the fitness stuff, to the uh, lessons, to the records, to the solo touring, to the Alice touring. Like I always have my hands in a lot of different things, but I think that's what you have to do in this day and age to really be comfortable and survive as a musician. It's uh, in the business term for that is the vertical integration, meaning it starts with you and it it tears up. It doesn't go mm-hmm. this way. This way means people are making money when 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 you sleep. This way means you're making money while you sleep. You know what I mean? And I learned a-, a lot of that from you actually. I learned a lot of that from chatting with you about the the mm. business moves that you make. And like Josh and I were just listening like like students, like, uh-huh, uh-huh. This is like it's amazing what you've done with the Joe B brand. Listen, Nita, I'm the shuffleboard king. Nobody, <laughs> yes, you are. Nobody could nobody could do a cruise without I my say so. <laughs> <laughs> I am a boomer. All right. Here's what I'd like to talk <laughs> here's what I'd like to talk to you about. I like to, you know, um so there's going to be some people out there that are going to say, well, easy for you to say, you play with Alice Cooper. Okay. And how'd you get the gig? I, yeah, I think I started saying this earlier and got sidetracked. Since I was a very young guitar player, I had one approach to playing shows, which was I would play with anybody that would let me get on stage with them. Mm-hmm. I didn't care what kind of music it was. I didn't care if I knew the songs or not. I didn't care if it was rock, pop, death metal funk like whatever it was like i just wanted to get out there and get experience and play right and throughout all of that time you know i never really depended on you know i never acted like i was anything different than what i was i was just struggling just trying to get out there i never asked anybody to carry my stuff for me i was always early you know i didn't date band members like i always maintained like super professionals you know even at a really young age you know Mm -hmm. being professional being early knowing the songs backward and forward, being good on stage. like, And so you have all these things that are factors that people look for. And over time, it just sort of rises and rises and rises. Cover bands, original bands. I played with the Iron Maidens for a long time. Right. And uh, I was on Monsters of Rock Cruise in 2014, I guess it was. And I was doing double duty. I was playing with the Iron Maidens and I was playing in a band called Femme Fatale. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kip Winger was on the cruise with Winger. And we got to talking after... I think it was after my set, one of my sets. And he was like, so 
are you in this band full time? And I said, no, I'm just, you know, I'm always looking for a gig. And if you, if you ever hear of anything that might be a fit, I'd really appreciate it if you keep me in mind, right. which is my favorite phrase, by the way. I love that. Cause it's not too grabby. Like, please. <laughs> right. It's, it's direct, but it's not desperate. Exactly. That's You're like, no, get me out of this thing, please. please. I'm, like, I'm in the of a cruise ship at two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> they, they make me sleep in the back of the van with the gear on top of the road cases. I got to go. So I said, uh, I really appreciate if you keep me in mind. And and he did. Thankfully, um, a few months later, um, Orianti had left Dallas's band and he was quietly looking for somebody new. And Kip was kind enough to pass my information along to them. So uh, I went through a, a pretty, pretty intense audition process all via video. Mm-hmm. And um, what was funny is that Motley Crue tour had just been announced and I lived in Hollywood and I was looking at tickets for Hollywood Bowl thinking, man, this is cool. Like, you know, right. Motley Crue and Alice Cooper it might be, you know, might be the last time I get to see Motley Crue in L.A. Right. And I think it was like six weeks later, I bought a box for my parents to come see that show. And I was at it. I was playing with Alice. Amazing. So was- you know, like, at first you're like, hey, I'm going to go because they're going to blow some shit up at the Hollywood <laughs> Bowl, you know. And the thing. How surreal is that, though? Because, you know, I mean, I, I, I've dealt with that my whole life. And, and even on this program, you know, I've interviewed a lot of my heroes and, and, and people I respect that I never thought I was going to meet when I was five years old in my parents' house and, you know, plunking on a guitar in upstate New York. I mean, it's, it must be surreal to, to, to have gone around the world with Alice and, and the people you've played with and the people you've met. And, and you're going, man, how did this happen to me? But it's a testament to your hard work and drive, but there's got to be a, a part of you that says, pinch me, this is crazy. All the time, all the time. And I'll tell you another thing. When we go back out on tour, I am not going to ever take a single thing for granted ever again. Because right. I feel like I've always had a good grasp on things. I've always been appreciative and grateful. But there are times, if you've been on the road for too long, that it turns into kind of a drag. And, mm-hmm. you know, like... My dogs are here. My boyfriend's here. You know, now I have my, my little haven of a studio that I can work in. And, right. you know, it's sometimes it's it's hard being away. You miss birthdays and anniversaries and, you know, all the good stuff. And um, there have been times that I got frustrated with being on the road so much. And I don't think when this starts to back up again, I don't think I'll ever take another like the, the shittiest hotel room or the bumpiest drive like mm. there's nothing i want more right now than to be on a bumpy drive with taking the turns and almost falling out of the bunk mm-hmm. you know like there's there's not a moment of it that i'm not that i will take, ever 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 take for granted oh you missed the beat the street rides in poland do you the street on the second thing and they turn around the, the corner and you feel like the whole thing's gonna slide off the cliff <laughs> i i once told a guy that that drove a bus in Europe. I, I just, it, you know, because I, I have I have an older band, and you know, we the double decker with the stairs, and it's you know, it's treacherous. And yeah, and I this guy Alice Cooper, I know. <laughs> yeah, and, and 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 you know, it's like even if you're 20, okay, you slip oh. and fall, you can break your ankle. And, I, and and it was just one of those roads that I believe we were airborne at some point with the bus. Just didn't care. And I just walked up to him, and he spoke enough English. I go, you know, we're not cows, okay. Yeah. Do you know we're not cattle back here, okay? And 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 I'm asking you in the nicest possible way to to not treat us and drive us most importantly like cattle's being led to the slaughterhouse, okay? We actually need to get somewhere in reasonably good condition, 
you know, it's, but I do miss that. And every single, you're a tall guy. I'm, our band is tall. You cannot get up and down the stairs without hitting your head on the ceiling. Right. Can't, can't do it. And it's funny as I sleep in the bunk next to Glenn Sobel, our drummer, who's also tall. Mm-hmm. And every morning without fail, this guy hits his head on the bunk. He sits up and forgets how low the bunks over there are. I just go, oh. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. There's no condo bunks in Europe. No condo bunks in Europe. Yeah. No. Condo bunk for, for the viewers at home are something that we, we, we cherish and, and, and dole out for people who are nice to the to us. And it's a double it's two bunks that's basically one. So you can either have three or two. If you get assigned a bus that has two in the bunk areas, you're living large. You are that living is, large. Yeah. That was my first condo bunk when I started playing with Alice. I had never had a condo bunk before. And I was just like, like I was in there. I like I plugged my phone in. I put it in the pocket. I could sit up and like there's a you know, little TV and I could sit up and watch my, my shows. Mm-hmm. Like it was... I'll never, you know what though? My solo band, we tour in a bandwagon and it is nothing like that. And I still wouldn't, like, I mean, I'd rather be in a bus, but if that happens first, if my solo tours start happening before Alice starts back up again, which is very, very likely, and a bandwagon is a bumpy ride. Like a bandwagon is a cattle wagon. It's Mm -hmm. like a a bandwagon is a moving truck with bunks, literally. I've seen them, yes. Yes, it's a moving truck with bunks. It has the shocks of a moving truck Mm -hmm. and- I still will like that. I think like, right. I will just be so happy to get back out there and see you guys watching this and like, you know, play shows and feel the music, feel real drums and feel you guys out there, like in a way that we just can't through a computer screen. That's going to be so great. The fans don't realize how much they participate in the gigs. And when you do the virtual live stream or, Hey, we're on Instagram or whatever. Mm-hmm. The feedback that they give us brings out the 10 or 15, 20% that they'll never get, no matter how how many Red Bulls you, you, you drink before, <laughs> the, before you do the live stream. It, it, they're an active participant in the gigs, and it, it, is, it is definitely, you know, it's, it's definitely missed, very missed. It is. I had this weird gig. I feel like I was one of the only guitar players over the, the last year that had a real gig, but... Uh, I had this gig playing for the LA Rams football team, the mm-hmm. NFL team. And it was like, it's my dream. I love sports. I'm from LA. I was born 10 miles from that stadium. It's brand new. No one's ever played there to this day. I'm still the only guitar player that's ever played in that stadium. I saw you on TV like, playing it. Yeah. So wild. Like, I still can't even get my head around that that happens. But it was so odd playing to this incredible stadium of nobody. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you're out there giving it, you know, almost like filming a music video. Like you're like, you know, I'm like thrashing and performing and, you know, playing all my cool stuff and doing all the over the neck tricks and, mm-hmm. you know, throwing my hair around and the DJs that I'm there, is, you know, DJ Moski is working with me and we're like vibing and literally no one ever saw it. They never showed it on TV. Like they showed me, they really showed me once and I don't know how they managed to get one shot where I was standing still. <laughs> like, yeah, right. You're there all day from 5 a.m. And then they use like that was that was my George Lopez show. I was there all day. Right. right. And I watched it at night and I'm like, I'm, I'm literally on there for like 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 fractional seconds. And I'm like, you know, I could just take a megaphone in my in, in my car, <laughs> drive around Hollywood and, and promote myself to more people than this than this gig. Before we wrap up, talk to me about your Ibanez 
was it called the Jiva 10 signature model. You are the first female in the history of that company to get a signature guitar. Congratulations. A, I played it. It's very nice. And, and, and B, harkens back to, you ever think when you saw Steve Vai playing Jack Butler that you would be in that club with an Ibanez signature model just like he is? You know, yes, but not not in like an ego reason because like I, I don't I don't think it because I think I'm not great and I you know anything like that. I just never it never occurred to me that it wasn't gonna happen because I worked so hard. I worked so singularly and tirelessly, you know, I dropped out of high school to pursue music. Uh, I never had a higher education. I had stupid jobs like every other musician. I used to work at the Mac makeup counter in the mall when I was off tour and I couldn't pay my bills. Like I had no no ego that tells me like I have to only do music like I will do whatever I have to do to make ends meet right but all I ever wanted to do was this and it took precedence over you know it would ruin relationships because I would miss too much stuff and guys don't like having a girl that goes on the road with dudes all the time even if mm -hmm. nothing's happening right you know and it would ruin relationships and I you know I didn't go to college I didn't start a family young like I've always wanted to have kids and have a family like I put all of that on hold to pursue music full time. And I love it. I love my choices and I would never trade it for anything in the world. But when it happened, I was like, it wasn't so much of a surprise. It's like, finally, you know, I've been an Ibanez artist for 10 years before it, mm -hmm. before I got that signature guitar. So, you know, I was a faithful Ibanez artist. I was touring in every country in the world. I had a solo record. I sort of finally checked all the boxes mm -hmm. and uh, I was so honored, just like mm -hmm. so incredibly just with all my heart, so honored. And I remember my first meeting with Ibanez in 2008. I went into the meeting and I sat down and I looked across the table and I said, I think that these are the best guitars out there. And if you want to give me a deal, I will proudly play these guitars and endorse them for you and tell the world how much I love them. And if you don't give me a deal, I will still proudly play these guitars and I will love them because I think they're the best guitars on the market and I don't want to play anything else, which took away all my power in the negotiation. Right. <laughs> but but um, 10 years later uh, came out the Jiva 10. And then uh, a year ago, this week, actually, a year ago in 2020, came out the two new models, the Jiva Junior and Jiva X, which is actually sitting right here. Oh, you're, you're, you're a born marketing woman. Yeah. Well, just I was happened actually, to have the latest model right here next to I was me. just using it. I was practicing before we called. Like, yeah, right. Like, I, I believe oh, it. Look. <laughs> um, but like, this is the Jiva X, the new one. Right. The Japanese made one. So uh, I love these guitars so much, and it makes me so happy to see them making other people happy, you know? And you're inspiring everybody, you know? I mean, that's the thing. It's like your story is so inspirational, but so important. What, what you tell people, it's like, listen, I'll do anything, I'll work harder, I'll work smarter. Mm -hmm. And I will, I will show up and I will learn, do my homework and be a pro. And it's, and what a lot of people that have come and gone in bands and they're super talented and they should be working and, and they, what they don't understand is the other 22 hours. They're great on the yeah. gig and complete nutters on the, on the fringe. And you just go, I, I can't work with you because you're so good, but you're such, you, you, you're not pro. And, and that's yeah. a great lesson, you know? There's so many things to come that go into being pro besides just playing guitar. You mm -hmm. know, whether it's, you know, showing up early, like not being the one that keeps everybody waiting for the bus. Mm -hmm. You know, whether it's, you know, don't, 
if you if you're going to rehearsal and you're in like a pro situation don't show up in pajamas like i see people show up in like kind of cozy sweats and dude i'm a cozy sweat person like mm-hmm. i'm always in leggings and a cozy right. sweats but like sh- you know when it's time to be professional like show up 15 minutes early be prepared look like somebody that they would want to you know walk through an airport with and have you know paparazzi taking pictures with or whatever right. always just you know just being mindful of that stuff my first meeting with chef gordon alice's manager uh, I met him at Sunset Marquee. It was him and Bob Ezrin. And uh, we're supposed to meet at two, I guess. Mm-hmm. I showed up at like one one forty, and I sent him a text. I was like, hey, I'm in the lobby. No rush. Just want to let you know I'm here. Mm-hmm. And uh, he came down. He's like, I'm sorry. Like, am I late? And I said, no. But, you know, I said, my dad always told me if you're if you're on if you're early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late. If you're late, you're fired. Mm-hmm. And Shep just started dying laughing. He's like, I love that. And he tells that story now to everybody he introduces me to. He's like, that's when I knew that she was going to be the right one for the band. It wasn't only about my playing. Some of it, I hope, was. Yeah, of course. But the, like you said, there's a the lot of great guitar players. There's a lot of great guitar players. But it's it's the other things that you need to address. And by, and by the way, Bob Ezrin was involved in writing my probably my biggest song, Slow Gin. That oh, wow. Was, I didn't know that. It was a Tim Curry cut. And I didn't meet Bob until I played on Alice's record. And and all I can say about Bob is, other than the fact that he's an le- absolute legend and one of my favorite people on the planet, he is just such, he is just like, it's like two bunny rabbits when he gets in the studio. He never has a bad <laughs> word to say about anything. Uh, you haven't heard him talk about my guitar playing. <laughs> oh, bless him. He, what does he know? Anyway. Um, he, he knows a lot, and I, I have so much respect for him, and I'm very, very grateful to have the opportunity to get critique from someone that I admire so much. I went in, and <laughs> I'm, usually, I'm usually like a one or two take guy, and, and I was getting berated, so don't, don't worry about it. Okay? <laughs> it's, it, it, it's, it, it's not just you. It's everyone. I think, I think, oh, no. that's, I think that's part of his style, too. It, it's, it's some people have to, have to do this to get the emotion that they're looking for and others are just, Hey, just play it like you feel it. Um, before we wrap up, um, I just want to thank you, uh, for everything and, and, uh, thank you for doing the show. And, um, is there anything, um, your, your album controlled chaos is out. Great record. We've established how deep the Mariana trench is and, um, something. 36,201, but I don't believe it. I mean, like who, who's got a tape measure down and there? And the one. Yeah. And one, really, just because <laughs> 200, you know. Anyway, thanks for being here. And um, I have the utmost respect for you as a musician and, and as a player and as a person. So so thank you, Nita. I hope you've enjoyed my non-German interview. <laughs> that means so much, Joe. Thank you. I, I watch the show all the time. And I was just so thrilled when uh, you and Steve mentioned me on the show. I, I just wish you could have seen that it was like a kid on Christmas. And now to get to be on it myself is even cooler so thank you very very much well just to think you've gone through this whole journey musically you've committed your whole life to this thing and, and you're only as good as your last show think about that when you hang up the call <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i've spent my whole life and this is i, I really got to make some changes i'm on with bonamassa oh god and he's wearing his own swag even worse oh i'm i'm the queen of wearing my own merch too so we can be we can be the boomer and the millennial uncool people wearing our own gear till the day we die. Listen, I wear it a lot because it's comfortable and I helped design some of it. Gales is Gales is the king. I've never seen Eric Gales in a non Eric Gales branded t-shirt or or something. Because like, how else are people gonna know it's back there at the merch table if you're not wearing it? 
Actually, I'm wearing one of Josh's brand shirt right now. The Ego Kills Talent one. This exactly. is one of Josh's. And yeah. and they're they're and they're they're you're getting them at a fraction of the cost of of of, of the fans because you're buying them. So. Yeah. Nita, thank you for being here, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. The great Nita Strauss. This has been another exciting episode of Live from Nerdville.